Hello, welcome. Welcome back to season two of the Woman Being Podcast. It's happening. We're here. We're here. (laughs) We're genuinely so excited to start off season two. We are so pumped to launch, to get back into the flow of things, and to give you guys some amazing content that we have planned for this whole next year. (laughs) Um, And we are so excited that we are starting off this season with a guest, the lovely Michelle Gallagher. Uh, She is a fitness coach. She's also a very skilled makeup artist, as I'm sure you can see looking at her beautiful face if you're on video. Um, (laughs) And she is also a advocate for uh, jail reform. And that's what we're mostly going to be focusing on with her today. Uh, But thank you so much for being here, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And um, let's dive right in. This is Woman Being, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds. Without expectation or judgment, we will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. So, Michelle, uh, for anybody who is not from the area that we're from. We are located in Northern California in a city called Redding. Um, And so some people who are local might know about this story or about what you are all about. You are a Reddingite and also a prominent, like, member of the community and in being very um, involved in the community and you kind of have your hands in a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. So um, people around here might be familiar, but also for those who are not familiar, uh, we want to start out with uh, having you just tell us some of uh, your story uh, with your brother, John, um, and sort of what has happened over these past, what, two years now? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, give us the the the... What is the word? Synopsis. The synopsis. <laughs> yeah. um, well, uh, my family moved here from Hawaii when I was eight years old. So that was 27 years ago. Mm. Um, and I have two brothers and two sisters. And we grew up in Reading, um, just another young family and, you know, just kind of establishing ourselves in the community. Um, and my brother, John, specifically went to Enterprise High School. Uh, He went to Shasta College and got his degree there in fire. Mm -hmm. Um, He um, did a lot of things in the community. A lot of his jobs were around uh, healthcare and helping people. Um, And so what a lot of people don't know about John is that, um, or maybe if you you just weren't paying attention or weren't aware, uh, that there has been um, high percentages of jail deaths happening in our in our county jail Shasta County Jail and my brother John Adena was the second out of three deaths in a three-week period Mm -hmm. back in 2019 yeah so um he found himself um in a mental crisis he actually was arrested um for wild behavior uh after losing his job uh working at a hospital here in town Uh, And I think he just he hit rock bottom in his life and he uh, started acting very radically, um, 
very, very unlike him, uh, his personality. His personality is very shy um, and very um, kind and kind of awkward because Mm. he was always shy as a kid as well. But um, his personality was he would give you the shirt off his back if you needed it. And Mm. so um, he was always a very kind person. So to hear that my brother had been arrested uh, on um, some charges that were just like, he was resisting and he was fighting and he wasn't complying and uh, he found himself in jail after a mental, um, again, a a mental incident where he was just not well. Um, He was booked in Shasta County Jail and we would try to visit him. Um, And the reports that we were getting from the correctional facility was that they, he was very violent inside, that he wasn't complying either there, that he was um, very agitated all the time and he didn't want to see his family, um, which again is very strange for my brother. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just, I mean, just the fact that we were just trying to deal with the situation at hand at the time um, was just bizarre. And then to find out uh, that he died in custody was just unimaginable. We just, we just had no, we had, there was just no grid for that at all. And mm-hmm. so um, through this process of losing him, um, there were, there were a lot of things that were happening um, around us, but we really, my family didn't really know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents would try to get um, information, you know, on, on, you know, how do you deal with the death of, of your child? Um, mm-hmm. when, you know, we, as a family, we're thinking he's hit rock bottom. Like this is, there can only be up, right. He can only go up from here. And yeah. how, how are we going to support him through this process? Once he gets out, how are we going to help him recover and kind of put the pieces back together? You know, we yeah. weren't thinking we were never going to see him again. And so yeah. dealing with all of that, um, there was a lot of confusion. Uh, we were not told how he died or the autopsy report was not done in a timely fashion. And when I say that, I, I mean to say that we had to wait 15 months um, before even getting an autopsy report on how he died. Yeah. So for almost a year mm-hmm. or over a year, um, we were left to go through the motions of, of burying him, of Mm. saying goodbye to him, of, um, trying to, trying to move forward and trying to understand what happened, uh, with, with just being completely in the dark. Um, Shasta County, um, was saying that, you know, they can't say anything because it's an invest, it's an active investigation. And so, but we weren't, we weren't being told or explained, uh, the details of this, Hey, well, it takes, it takes a while. And sometimes we just, you know, it's a slow process. Like we weren't told any of these things. We were just mm-hmm. said, Hey, there's no, there's no update to, mm-hmm. to anything that you're asking about. And so for again, a year, a little over a year and a half, we were, we were just waiting to figure out how, um, how he could have died mm-hmm. in their custody. What happened? We yeah. never saw him when he was in jail. We were never able to visit him. Um, he ended up losing the privileges to see people, to have visitors because of his behavior. Um, and so it begs the question, uh, you know, jails are not mental health facilities. Mm-hmm. He needed mental help um, desperately. And um, jails are not, you know, are not those types of facilities. So we just have a lot of questions as a family. And um, 
again, we would we would find out 15 months later that he died of uh, dissected carotid artery, I believe that's what it's called. Um, and that particular that particular um, injury happens uh, a lot of the times during uh, a blunt force trauma, like being in a car accident, mm-hmm. going at high speeds. Um, yeah. This was not. It, it just when when we got the answers that we were, you know, not, not that we were hoping for, but when we finally had answers to what his cause of death was, it just left us with more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, he had other injuries um, that the autopsy would report that he had extensive hemorrhaging on his neck. He also had um, he had multiple bruises from blunt force trauma on his head and face. His chest cavity was full of free blood, which means that it was just blood that wasn't supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, His legs and ankles and feet had severe bruising from blunt force trauma, including being stomped on. Um, He had handcuff marks that are consistent with having been beaten while handcuffed. Mm -hmm. And um, he was also smothered to the point where his teeth would rip into his lower lip. So these were, these are all things that we're looking at this and Shasta County is basically saying, hey, here's how, here's how it happened. And yet... Um, we ended up having to get lawyers. Uh, my parents decided to get lawyers through this process just to help us navigate the system because we just, mm-hmm. again, were left in the dark. Um, so it was only through my parents' lawyers' help that we were able to get um, his autopsy report. So um, we're looking at all that and we're noticing that, you know, what the jail is saying happened versus what his body is telling us are two different stories. Mm-hmm. And so my family... Uh, my parents decided to um, to file a wrongful death suit um, in hopes of keeping the jail accountable um, for demanding more transparency, for asking for change um, in how they handle people, not only mm-hmm. um, not just people in general as humans, but mentally ill people who aren't moved because there's no resources for people like my brother to go other than to stay there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the things that we want to hold them accountable for. We want to um, hold WellPath, which is the medical group that was in charge of his medical care in, in the jail. We mm-hmm. want to hold them accountable. What happened? Um, because it looks like, uh, and what we're alleging in the lawsuit is that they were gravely mistreating him or mm-hmm. neglecting him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're really just going through the process um, of, of what that looks like to, to be kind of put in the legal system and to, to wait our turn to see what happens. Um, but ultimately, we're looking for reform and we're looking mm-hmm. for change and we're looking for things to change because I think for a long time, this, um, this jail has had this problem of, of a culture where it's okay to do these things. And, uh, and I think that's been 10, 15 years in the making. And mm-hmm. so we're really just wanting to call it out and say that this isn't okay anymore um, and that we see you and mm-hmm. we, want, we want something different. This, this, cannot, this cannot happen anymore. Yeah. So That's just incredibly sad to hear. And um, I'm so sorry for your loss you. and for what you guys have been through, you and your family. Um, would you tell us a little bit more about kind of the days preceding his death and kind of his requests for 
medical care and yeah. how that was handled. Yeah. So he would die on, he died on September 22nd, uh, 2019. And the day before that, uh, he had actually requested uh, medical care. Um, he had, at that point, he had seen a judge for the charges against him uh, of him being arrested. And uh, the judge decided to go ahead and order a psycho- like a psychological evaluation because mm-hmm. he didn't really seem to respond in a way that, you know, he felt comfortable sentencing him. So we were actually really encouraged at the fact that a judge ordered uh, a psychological evaluation for him. We were thinking, okay, he's gonna, we're going to get some answers. We're mm-hmm. going to get a diagnosis. We're going to know what to do and how to yeah. just really help him and just kind of spearhead this thing. Um, but we had, um, there had been another inmate who uh, at the time of his courtroom appearance had noticed there was blood on the back of John's, um, shirt. And so, um, we would come to find out that he had a, like a gash, like behind his head, like right at the bottom of his skull. We don't know if that was, uh, self-inflicted. We don't know if that was due to, um, harsh treatment or maybe, you know, something, something happening. Um, we don't know if it was reported or not. We don't know if it's in his file. I mean, it, it should be, uh, any kind of injury sustained by inmates should, should be filed mm-hmm. and reported. Um, but he, he would have, he would have a lot of, uh, different types of injuries just due to the, um, really stern and very, um, overly used, tactics uh, mm-hmm. to subdue an inmate who would be violent. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't know how much of that was inflicted because he was fighting back versus they just got used to treating him harshly. And so they knew that they had to, they had to handle him extra or something. We don't, mm-hmm. I mean, we're just, we just don't know. So he had had a lot of um, different things, injuries that had um, happened to him in the of I think almost four, four to five weeks in in custody. And so um, September 21st, he requested medical help. He requested Mm -hmm. medical treatment um, because he was vomiting and he, uh, working in the medical field and him being EMT and and had gone to paramedic school, he knew that um, vomiting after a head injury is not a good sign. And Mm -hmm. so Uh, He requested medical treatment. He requested to go down to the medical bay and and receive treatment because he knew that there was something wrong. And um, it was ignored. That request was ignored. And he was found early the next morning um, not breathing very well. Uh, There was like purple foam coming out of his mouth. He was waving his hand around in the air um, like he was trying to flag someone down for help. And by the time that they did bring him down to medical um, they started doing life-saving, uh, treatments, I guess, on him or, you know, mm-hmm. performing CPR in it and they could not get him back. Mm-hmm. So it was, that's, I think the most angering part for me was that he was, his request was neglected. Um, and that is just the most heinous thing that I could think of is that, um, he was still a human being. He still had human rights. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't care. I don't care why you're in jail. You're still a human being. You should have access to medical treatment if you need it. And, um, John, John, um, John knew, you know, and like I, he was 
a lot of the time I think um, I, I like I don't know I, I never saw him when he was when he was in the jail so I can only I can only think and imagine what was going through his head in the times where he maybe had consciousness or maybe where he realized where he was and he wasn't um, you know he he or maybe he was confused and he didn't know like it's I just I think constantly of what that could have felt like um, to be ignored in that way and then to ultimately you know not survive because he just didn't get the help that that he deserved as a human. Yeah. yeah. So it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. I mean, again, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us and taking the time to sit down and talk with us. Like, I, I can't imagine how it feels to go through having to explain, you know, the death of a family member and especially when it's under the circumstances um and we just so appreciate being able to um to host you here and being able to talk to you and um get your story out more (laughs) like that's that's part of our our hope is um we you know i mean we we want to be able to to host space for this Thank you. To come to light. Thank you. So yeah. um, we appreciate so much you you sharing all this and Thanks. like it's not. I imagine it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely something I never thought I would have a voice on. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't. I mean, to be to be real, um, you know, this has been going on in our jail for a long time, and mm-hmm. I. I think I am for sure guilty of of reading a news a newspaper heading or seeing something online, an article online of another inmate dies, and just thinking, oh, that's sad, and then just kind of moving along with my day. Yeah. And it's not until it's not until John died where it really, it really just was a Mack truck to the face of, mm-hmm. oh, this is this is happening, and this is happening often, mm-hmm. like more so than what it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, for any other jail or city that is per capita, like we are, we have a lot of, a lot of deaths in our jails. So why is that? And mm-hmm. um, I think it's something that a lot of families have suffered through, but mm-hmm. they've not had the opportunities. They've not had maybe um, the platforms of of people hosting them, or um, people just don't want to hear their voices. And it wasn't until again losing John where. Um, he was a he was a prominent member of the community. He mm-hmm. he bought him um, he bought his house. Um, he had a gym membership. He was an active community member um, until he wasn't. You know, yeah. until mental health really yeah. just was like it was just very apparent that he needed help. And um, and I think it's just really important to to recognize this has actually been going on. I just haven't really been paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, that's a harsh reality. You know, it's mm-hmm. a harsh reality to recognize, oh, this has been going on. But for some reason, I've just allowed myself to kind of just not really care. Yeah. And so I care now. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's just it's it's something that I will do until my very last breath is is share John's story and hope that um, I can at least spark curiosity uh, about um, a an issue that yeah. is is happening um, really specifically, obviously, uh, in jails and, and just shed light on it and yeah. just be curious mm-hmm. about it and mm-hmm. learn exactly. and educate myself and, and help other people walk that journey as well because it's horrible to think, 
you know, that this is that this is something that's happening here yeah. in first world America, you know, yeah. That, yeah. that there's there's things like this happening. It's not it's not somewhere far away. It's here. It's in our mm-hmm. own city. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's time that a lot of us just started perking up and paying attention. And, and again, not asking anyone to change I'm not trying to change anyone's minds. I'm just I'm just hoping that people will start to be curious mm-hmm. um, and take the personal initiative to kind of educate themselves. So we can come at this as a city. We can come together as a community and just really uh, enact change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate the platform. Um, and it's, it's a huge honor to be mm-hmm. here to share. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. And I mean, the, the thing is, too, is like so there's so much that happens that's like wrong in the world that we kind of skate by or ignore Mm -hmm. because it's not affecting us directly Mm -hmm. and unfortunately a lot of people don't recognize those wrongs until they do affect them directly and that's heartbreaking so the fact that you are willing to share um and bring light to this issue um of possible like abuse within the jail um which I also imagine is not unique to our jail, Uh, you know, like there's other um, jails that have instances instances of abuse as well. Mm -hmm. And um, families that are affected by this, it is totally acceptable for them to not talk publicly about it and to deal with the trauma and the grief silently and on their own. And um, so the fact that your family has said, actually, we're going to step up and we're going to um, be a public voice and and be willing to be, like, re-traumatized. And, yeah. and um, I, I don't want to say uh, not moving on, but not really putting it behind you, but saying, no, this is, this is part of us now and this is, this is how we're going to move forward with this. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say that a family that would choose to not speak up is in the wrong at all because everybody's dealing with grief and trauma in their own way. And um, that is totally valid. But the fact that you guys have chosen to step up and to speak about this is just incredible. Um, and it's something that can help other people not just walk by yeah. an issue. Well, and it's giving like the community of Reading and of Shasta County the opportunity to to make our city a better place and our county a better place and that is extremely powerful but Mm -hmm. I mean it's not lost on me that this is happening and you're advocating in the midst of a very tense season Mm -hmm. between you know the person and the law enforcement Mm -hmm. or the person and the prison Mm -hmm. system or the jail system um and so tensions are very high in, in that area and I wondered knowing that you are married to a wonderful uh, person in law enforcement here in California. Um, how has that been for you and your family navigating both this very harsh truth, but also your love for your, your husband and the work yeah. that he does? Yeah. Um, I mean, before I was uh, a sister who lost a brother, I've been, I've been a, a wife of, of a law enforcement officer. Um, and it's been really challenging for the last few years, to say the least, uh, where, you know, all of the, the outcry and all of the injustices being done um, all over the U.S. to then have everyone be pitted against uh, 
law enforcement or police officers, you know, that these, um, the few that have acted insanely inappropriate mm-hmm. and um, is is now being the status quo of this is what every, every man or woman in law enforcement is, um, is a grave misjudgment. And uh, to have a husband who, who is a blonde, blue-eyed, you know, white male mm-hmm. who um, got into this job to protect people and to help people in times of need at the at the very worst day, you know, to mm-hmm. to be able to be there and, and to help. Um, it's it's the reason why he got into into this profession is to be able to make a difference and to help people. Um, and so, yeah, it's been really challenging, uh, really really challenging navigating this uh, with him. Um, you know, I love my husband and I also love my brother. And so I have had a very unique opportunity to be able to have to um, challenge, you know, that I can't just pick a side. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't. What am I going to do? Am I going to pick my marriage and say that, you know, and deny what happened to my brother? Or am I going to take the side of, of all families who have suffered the way that my family has suffered and, and neglect and, and, you know, tear my husband out of my life. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's not an option. (laughs) Um, and so having to navigate the tension, um, that I, that I live in, I mean, tension is good, right? Tension, it helps us, um, stay present. It helps us. I mean, if I choose to, I can choose to engage in it versus, um, you know, it's and but it's it's that give and take of of it because I can't just be in tension my whole life, um, but mm-hmm. I also can't be um, on the sidelines my whole life either. And so, learning to balance that out, what does that look like for me as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, as a daughter, as a sister, um, to to engage in this tension? And uh, it's been it's been tricky. It's been tricky. But uh, my husband and I have been very open about. Um, seeing a therapist just just for our own relationship, just for the dynamic that is our lives with him going to work uh, and the job that he does uh, is very is very dangerous on on a number of different levels and the toll that that takes on an individual who chooses that career path and um, the toll it can take on their families and their children and their their spouses. Um, those are things that I know really well, but uh, to navigate the tension of losing my brother and then having my husband be in law enforcement has been um, has been really, really challenging, uh, to, to say the least, but also a very, um, a very worthy mm. um, pursuit. Yeah, because um, I, I can't imagine my life without him. I, I've I've been choosing him for 17 years. Mm-hmm. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> but also, you know, what does it look like to advocate for these things? And it challenges him mm-hmm. and it challenges me and mm-hmm. uh, it challenges us as as a unit, as a couple to be able to communicate how we're feeling, uh, mm-hmm. how to engage in um, grief and hope and um, all of these things, and it's it's not without it's not without struggle, mm-hmm. but we um, it's just it's a really for me personally it's been a really incredible opportunity um, mm-hmm. to be able to ride that line because um, again it's very easy to just pick a side and then just start yelling across the way at the other person like 
F you, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's really easy. It's really easy to just have a a thought pattern or a mindset or a belief system that's a mile wide and an inch deep. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's, it's forcing me to, to dig deeper um, on both sides of the issue. And it's forcing me to, um, to engage uh, in both sides because I have people on both sides who are Mm -hmm advocately like they're they're just they're very passionate on on their their side of the of the subject and so mm-hmm. learning um to find that middle ground for myself and then also inviting other people to that middle ground because we're all just yelling across the way and no one's hearing anything and mm-hmm. so in order to actually to actually change some things and to be curious and to be in a space where everyone feels safe enough to mm-hmm. actually share um, their feelings on on why they are passionate about what they are. Um, it requires participation. It requires vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It requires the effort to mm-hmm. be put in. That hey, I'm going to actually get down off of my soapbox and actually, can I just meet you in the middle and see if we mm-hmm. can be just humans who are hurting? Mm-hmm. And um, so it's it's been a very <laughs> very long process mm-hmm. and we're still going you know we'll have good days we'll we're connect well where we will connect really well and then other days where we won't but um it's just the overarching yes to the process mm-hmm. has been has been the goal well and to me that adds so much value to um the work that you and your family are doing which because you, picking a side again like you said is easier But like being rooted and going deep Mm -hmm. into the issue and holding intention that some people are malicious, but that doesn't taint the entire group. And um, some people are grossly mistreated, um, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that all police officers are wrong. And on the same time, at the same time, like recognizing and supporting the people that are putting their lives on the line that are Mm -hmm. putting themselves out there to keep our communities safe and um are are essentially going through extreme trauma every day to do that for us that that to me is like holding those both intention is really really hard and that you come from that perspective i feel like just adds more more power and more humanizing language to to this issue as a whole john is a human he was a human Mm -hmm. on this earth and so is your blonde blue-eyed husband Mm -hmm. and the the police officers who who do what they do and that doesn't negate our need for law enforcement or the prison system or jails but it does mean that we need change and reform you know right right yeah and i mean i'll say um, to to back you up, that you are not just words about this, but also action, um, is I attended a rally that you had um, for uh, spreading the word about what happened with John. Um, and at that rally, there were people across the political spectrum, yes. like yes. people who usually would never associate with one another yep. mm-hmm. um, and would never be at the same protest or march or anything like that and that's kind of incredible that Mm -hmm. you are able to be like a uniter in that way um and have people unite um over empathy for a human being because at the end of the day that shouldn't be political you know a human is gone who's 
shouldn't be. Yeah. And that's not a political issue. That's yeah. just a human issue. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually makes me think of um, uh, this uh, racial justice activist um, who I have been listening to a lot of content from lately. His name is Daryl Davis, and he um, is an African-American man who works with Ku Klux Klan members and neo-Nazis and befriends them, and then eventually they wind up giving up that uh, lifestyle. Uh, And he's had many people step away from that as they've gotten to know him. Um, And one of the things that he talks about a lot is how um, when the conversation stops, that's when violence begins. Mm -hmm. Um, And how you need to be talking uh, to people who, I mean, as an African-American man talking to a Ku Klux Klan member is like, I can't imagine the, the, the feelings of of like repulsion that I'm sure that he feels, or 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 fear coming going to a clan rally or things like that, like mm-hmm. it's incredible. But he pushes into that because he knows the value of communication and of keeping the conversation going and not just yelling at each other from opposite ends, right. but instead saying, "I'm going to meet with you and recognize your humanity," right. mm-hmm. um, and that's going to actually bring change. Right. So. So good. It's incredible mm, yeah, what yeah, you're doing. You. Well, I mean, you look at it too, and you, you. I mean, that's an incredible, an incredible story, and an incredible thing that he does. Mm-hmm. And you look at kind of the polarization of the world right now. No one wants to talk. Everyone mm-hmm. just wants. Everyone just wants to yell. And yeah. so, we are losing the capability to be able to do exactly what we're doing is is just talking about stuff mm-hmm. and whether or not you're on the other side of me in a conversation about something where we're just not talking anymore. And so mm-hmm. how would it look if we mm-hmm. all just started talking again yeah. and being, and having respect for one another and not, and not being so triggered all the time to where we just let down our defenses just a little bit, just to dig past the anger and actually just see a really hurt person mm-hmm. and then talk like we are just, we're, we don't have that anymore. And so, mm-hmm. It's it's something we have to we have to work for mm-hmm. in our society. I think so. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's like keeping an attitude of, I'm not giving up on you. Yeah. You know you, we disagree on this this thing that I feel passionately about that you feel passionately about. But I, as a result of that, instead of pulling away, which I mean that would be my first instinct is like, oh, okay, you're not safe. That's toxic. I don't belong or whatever. It's like, no, I'm going to dig deeper. I'm going to be super intentional with you Mm -hmm. because I believe that the human inside of you is worth having conversation with. Yeah. 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 I feel like also like more than likely, most of the time you can find a space of of agreement. Mm -hmm. Like, can we come at this from what we do agree on, which is people shouldn't be mistreated while in custody. Mm -hmm. People should not be denied medical treatment. Mm -hmm. Like that is a human right. Mm -hmm. So can we all gather around that and Mm -hmm. support that versus like, well, like prison and like, or jail. (laughs) Like it's like, no, no, no. Let's like erase those things for a moment because what we're talking about is like you're saying human, it's a person. And, um, it's not about necessarily politics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people, I think, because we didn't know how he had died for so long, mm-hmm. um, a lot of a lot of people and what I've heard um, from people uh, talking to me about this was that they all just assumed that he killed himself and that mm-hmm. he, he just took his own life. So it mm-hmm. wasn't that whole 15 months uh, where we weren't able to talk about it. We weren't able to articulate 
what happened because we didn't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, We could only speculate. And so everyone else was just left to speculate as well. And so everyone just had kind of said, oh, my gosh, like when the lawsuit came out, I didn't we didn't know. We just Mm -hmm. thought he took his own life. Mm -hmm. And so that's um, it's just it's important to recognize like, oh, we just kind of get stuck in these little um, we assume we mm-hmm. just assume a lot and yeah. it's, it's okay. It's, it's what our brains do to try to make sense of a chaotic world. But we also have to recognize that, you know, 15 months later we found out, you know, his, his body was just battered. Um, mm-hmm. and we're calling, we're calling it out. And so, and he did not take his own life. Mm-hmm. He did not take his own life. So that is just something, um, that I think, um, it's really easy to think of, you know, an inmate and again, just chalking it up to, I'll just assume, you know, he was a criminal and I'll just assume that he mm-hmm. was a dirtbag or he was someone who, um, deserved to be there. That was his first offense. He's never, he's never had any kind of criminal record before that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's even had a speeding ticket. Like mm-hmm. he's yeah. it. And so, you know, for him, for people, again, as, assumption is just, it's, I think it's okay. I think it's natural for us, for us to, to assume things, but I think it's also really important to gut check ourselves mm. as well and, and stay, stay on top of that. So, yeah. mm-hmm. because otherwise it just becomes like, oh, well, I just assumed yeah. like the people that were all there, I guess just kind of, you know, deserve yeah. to be there, mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, and then we just, and then we walk in that and we just continue to live our lives. So mm-hmm. it's, it's that, that I'm really wanting to challenge in people. That's um, really good. And again, just to be curious because without yeah. curiosity, we don't, we don't dig. We don't yeah. have any, any gumption to, to even try to find the truth or yeah. the, the details in, in a big, big, um, picture. So, yeah, that's yeah. really good. Thanks. I, um, even in my own life have had to grow in that area. I come from a very like poor, high crime area mm. and people that, you know, are stuck in a lifestyle is very common yeah. to make assumptions about, th- about them. But that, that aside, um, John was a hero. Yeah. Like he was a firefighter. Yeah. He was an EMT. Yeah. Like he worked in hospitals. Like, and if you aren't from Northern California or an area where wildfires happen every year, like we have the deepest appreciation for our firefighters. Mm-hmm. Like, in, in my opinion, they should be some of the most revered members of yeah. the community. Yeah. And so, like, I think that's an important lens to have as well. Like, he is, you said it was really powerful. You said he was a valuable member of the community until he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he, in my eyes, I'm like, that is a hero. And I mean, everyone deserves justice, but that to me adds like almost another layer of like, this person really poured his life into serving the community. And so it is the least we can do to try and serve and pursue justice for him in return. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So switching gears here a little bit, Michelle, um, would you just share a little bit more with us about what the lawsuit process has looked like, especially in correspondence with the county? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, we dropped, not dropped, but we filed the lawsuit, uh, I believe, in April of this year. Uh, It's my parents. uh, So my sisters and my brother and I were not on it, but but it's our family's um, deal. And so... um, it's been interesting. The 
the county um, before the lawsuit was filed, uh, it was it was just really horrendous to deal with. Um, mm. You would think that you know it's not common to have deaths in the jail, so that you would think that like maybe someone from the Shasta County Sheriff's Department or you know the the jail um, facility would reach out or, or say you know, hey, like, this is this is just kind of how it is. Like, this is what will happen. Mm-hmm. These are the time, maybe potential timelines that you may expect that, mm-hmm. you know, or the coroner, the coroner may say, hey, you know, we're going to be updating you as often as possible uh, to get you the answers that you're looking for in regards to his death. Like, we, you know, you'd kind of think that something like that would happen. None of that happened. Mm-hmm. None of it. Um, my parents would call the coroner's office uh, in the time where we we had lost John, but we didn't know how he died. Um, so my dad would call the coroner's office and try to speak um, to anyone regarding, you know, there was an initial like, hey, this is what's gonna, this is what's gonna happen. And then we'll just keep you, we'll keep you posted. And then months would go by, two months, three months, four months. Um, and my, my dad would call and he would say, hey, if there's any, are there any updates? Are there any answers? Are there, is there anything that you can tell us? Mm-hmm. And he just got stonewalled. There's nothing to report. There's nothing new. Um, there's nothing, nothing new on your, on your case. Um, they would eventually know when he called. Um, and then um, they would say, oh, well, the coroner's not in right now, but there's also nothing new with your case. So it just felt mm-hmm. like we were completely stonewalled um, and left completely in the dark during this whole process. And again, we're a grieving family. We, um, you know, going from my brothers in jail to my brothers not here anymore on this earth um, is a drastic change. And so um, there was just a lot of questions that went unanswered for many, many months. Mm-hmm. And so it was it for me personally to see how... My parents retreated, how the lack of communication from a department who really didn't know how to explain themselves, you mm-hmm. know, it was, it, we were left in the dark. And that was, in my eyes, horrendous that mm-hmm. they um, would just kind of leave us hanging, um, that there would be no compassion, that there would be nothing, nothing in the slightest of human decency of, hey, we're going to we're gonna figure this out. It's just, it's not there. It's mm-hmm. not there. We, it, we did not experience any of that. So it was very difficult um, uh, having to kind of navigate that with the county. And so then when the, you know, when the, the lawsuit was filed, um, there, there hasn't been a lot of interaction mm-hmm. since that. Uh, and if there is, it's, it's through my parents' lawyers. Because mm-hmm. um, we're kind of, you know, we're just kind of waiting to start that whole process of litigation and all the things. So we're just kind of... Um, taking um, the lead from from our lawyers at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's been hard, though. It's been hard. That, yeah, that's absolutely. really hard. I yeah. mean, at the very least, like, someone should come talk to you, you yeah. know? Like, hey, really, really, really sorry. You yeah, know, right. yeah. sorry for your loss, anything like that. But it sounds like it was being treated as a minor administrative mm-hmm. fluke. Yeah. And they're like, well, yeah. updates will come when we get to it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like, yeah. oh, somebody died. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I think to be fair, too, um, you know, I think um, someone from the Shasta County Jail slash coroner's office came to my parents' home mm-hmm. and told them in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not there for that. I got a phone call on September 22nd, 2019. 
um, and was told that my brother passed away in jail. So I, it was just, it was a totally different experience for me um, than it was for my parents. But beyond that, it was really just, hey, this happened. And then this is, we're, we're in an investigation. So we can't tell you anything. We can't update you on anything. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we just, we didn't know. We were left to just wonder for 15 months how this could have happened. Was it, was it, um, you know, super was it violent like what did did someone hurt him did he hurt himself mm-hmm. did you know did anyone reach out to him was it something um biologically that he had that we didn't know about you know yeah. and something happened to him did he have a heart attack like was it natural causes was it unnatural you know we were just we were just left to ponder these things for 15 months before we even got answers on the autopsy report so um and even then it's just it left us with more questions too mm-hmm. so that was yeah. hard So as you and your family have navigated this, one, I can't imagine, but I'm, I'm really interested to know like how you have been coping with the death of John. And, um, I mean, I, all the trauma that comes with that, Mm -hmm. um, and unanswered questions, lack of clarity. I mean, I, yes. How have you (laughs) been coping one day at a time. Mm. <laughs> One day at a time. Um, it's been hard to um, allow myself to feel the feelings. Um, in the beginning, it was like I can't even look at a candy bar <laughs> in a store in a grocery store that was like his favorite, or mm-hmm. you know, or like going into a place or driving and seeing the car that he used to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all things that, you know, grief changes. It's, it, it, uh, it's not linear at all. Yeah. It's up and down. And so um, it's been really an, an active process for me to just embrace what I'm feeling because I think um, it's really easy for me to try to just be brave and, and shove the feelings aside. Like, yeah. I just need to be brave right now. And so I'm just going to stuff this mo- emotion real quick just to get through this thing. And um, I've really I've really just allowed myself. Um, and honestly, my body wouldn't let me anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I think that was my, my go-to. And yeah. so when my body just literally started shutting down, it was this opportunity and, and honestly this conscious decision for me to not ignore uh, my feelings anymore and not ignore the cost of, of suppressing my emotion um, for whatever reason. You know, I had the best intentions, but my body was like, mm, no, like we, we can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I started experiencing a lot of physical pain, a lot of things that I never really dealt with, um, having migraines constantly. Um, having random just aches and pains and things. Um, I really had to learn how to just be still uh, because, again, if I was moving and if I was going somewhere fast, then I didn't have to deal with the things that would bubble up mm-hmm. in the stillness. And mm-hmm. so um, I consciously made an effort and I said yes to the process of being still mm-hmm. because my body could no longer handle um, running and uh, it it was honestly um, a lot of how I integrated my healing and allowing myself to be still enough to to process emotions that would come up. Um, 
a huge part of that journey for me was finding these incredible women up in Medford, Oregon, uh, Lou Crenshaw and Chantel Dayton of uh, Drop Gym. Mm. It's just amazing little all-woman gym, boutique gym in Medford. Uh, they would they host these uh, 24-7 experiences, mm. which is where women can come from anywhere in the, the U.S. or the world. And spend seven days with them in their gym. And it they invite the whole woman. Um, and so I, I ended up attending this uh, of June of last year for myself. And I came, I came in with all of my brokenness. I came in with all of the shattered pieces from losing John and not knowing what to do and feeling feelings but not knowing what to do with them. And then my battered body. And I just, I brought it all in and just started um, the process of integrating all the things uh, that, that I am as a, as a woman and as a human being. And um, they really helped me figure out how to move trauma out of my body. Mm. They really helped me to connect to my body through breath. Um, they, they gave me practical things to do um, in a safe space where I could also explore where my heart was at and where mm. my mind was at and, and really challenge um, old belief systems that I had had and that I've been living out as, an, as a grown woman, um, challenging those belief systems and, and saying, actually, I think I want to lose and let go of those things so I can start a new, a new thing. And mm-hmm. so um, these women were integral in, in my healing uh, and, and kind of catapulting me onto that, to that path. Mm-hmm. So it's been, um, for me, that's how I've learned how to I've how how to kind of walk in this um, because John's story is going to be forever my story. And so how I I don't want to suppress. I don't want to push down. I don't want to ignore. I don't want to say that was such a long time ago. Like, but I also can't live as like an emotional wreck feeling like my feelings are everything. And it's like recognizing feelings are feelings and emotions Mm -hmm. are just emotions and they're not good and they're not bad. And it's just, Mm -hmm. but how am I, how am I holding all of this, you know, Mm -hmm. in my body? How am I holding all of these things in my mind and my heart? Um, So they have been incredibly helpful for, for my process. Um, and, and really just, um, being the biggest cheerleaders in my life and mm-hmm. the biggest mentors in my life to help me figure out what that looks like for me uh, mm-hmm. to grieve and to have the grief change from, you know, season to season. Mm-hmm. So um, that's been that's mm-hmm. been a massive key for me to be able to do that because otherwise I just would have probably kept myself too busy and mm-hmm. <laughs> decided to like, oh, I can deal with that later. Like I can I can deal with that that emotion later. I don't, I don't want to feel sad or I don't want to feel grief and I don't want to feel anger and I don't want to feel all these things yet. Giving myself the space to, to feel those things and to process them, um, has actually helped me live a better life. And honestly, I'm doing it for myself, but I'm also doing it for John because Mm -hmm. this is the thing that John never found in his life. This is the thing that I had so hoped for him that he would find. And so what better way to honor, to honor him and to honor, um, his life, um, by living the life that he should, he should have lived, you know? So that's a huge, that's a huge motivation. For sure. Would you, uh, share a 
more about like the breath work and other practical things that you've kind of mm-hmm. brought into your life. Um, yeah, since... I mean, and so breath work, uh, it's really not a subject unless you're maybe in like the yoga community, right? Yoga communities talk about breath work all the time, <laughs> but there's the rest of us who, if we're not super yogis, you know, we really don't get a chance or an opportunity to even think about mm-hmm how we breathe <laughs> and it's something we do auto it's something we do automatically all the time but it's there's actually real power to it when we actually engage with it um, and it's a way for us to connect to the self um, if you find yourself breathing deeply uh, when you're stressed out it's like oh you're doing that automatically but what would happen if you knew like how to do that intentionally um, mm-hmm. in times of crisis or in times of stress or uncertainty, <laughs> all mm-hmm. the things I feel like we're all living in anyways mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, uh, it's a great way to connect to the physical body and it's a great way to connect to your heart, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just been, it's been really fascinating. Um, and... There have been ways to where, um, you know, talk therapy is incredible. It's something that I absolutely advocate for. Um, But at some point, we have to do more than just talk. We have Mm -hmm. to actually act and we have to we have to put put things into motion. And that that goes with our bodies, too, because our bodies keep a score of all the things that we feel or that we choose not to feel. And Mm -hmm. so and when we don't. Um, it makes us sick. Like it actually makes yeah. us sick. Uh, there's this incredible book about, um, well, there's a couple books, but the one that I'm going to share is uh, When the Body Says No by Gaber Mate. Oh. And he, in his book, uh, he's a doctor, he's a medical doctor, but he's a, in his book, he starts making the connection to all kinds of cancer and autoimmune diseases and inflammation and, and things in the body that we deal with in kind of like the medical field like the the physical body but how he's bringing um or making the connection between the suppression of our emotion specifically anger Mm -hmm. uh, and how that actually makes us sick like for us to deny that feeling or that emotion um and to say that you know we're just not going to feel it or it's bad to feel it or whatever um that it actually actually physically makes us sick and Mm so um that book was a massive, like, mind-blown uh, emoji moment for me. <laughs> and so, um, again, like, learning how to access those things in me is very much with the breath. So, um, and I just, um, I use an app called Headspace, and it's a really great app. I had it for a couple of years uh, from a yogi friend who recommended it, and um, I had it on there and, and then, you know, kind of like, oh, okay, not, didn't really, kind of just left it on there, not really right. But yeah, and, and I really didn't start applying it until I couldn't sleep after John died. I just could not sleep. My head was just buzzing and I was so racked with grief that I just, I, I was just a hot mess. And so it was really honestly the only way I started using the Headspace app. And, um, and it was a way for me to fall asleep. It was a way for me. And so then I started practicing the lessons of basics. And Mm -hmm. then um, he had a grief um, like segment, you know, where you could, you could specifically choose different things or gratitude or um, self-acceptance or Mm -hmm. self-love. And so I just started slowly doing track by track and it's become a daily practice in my life. And Mm -hmm. when you're still, when you're, when you're calm and you're still and you're not moving um, and 
your brain is firing at 100 miles an hour, the only thing that that you can do is to breathe um, mm-hmm. to calm that down. Mm-hmm. And so learning how to breathe deeply and just be in that moment and be present, uh, that's been an integral part of of the breath work that I've been kind of working on personally. Mm-hmm. So um, that Headspace app has been amazing. It's been yeah. really good. It's Love been that. really helpful. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. That's amazing. I think one of the things that like Western culture is sort of starting to realize is that um, medical issues are so much more holistic and that all the ways that your state of mind and your body are truly connected. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that um, we sort of lost sight of in in the midst of like scientific revolution and and medical feats that we forgot, oh, you actually need to also care for the mind. Um, And so many like indigenous cultures or Eastern cultures have been saying that the whole time. (laughs) So I feel like um, that's incredible that you are taking such a holistic approach and it's incredible to remember. Um, Like you, when you think about grief, you don't think, um, that there's going to be physical ramifications necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is any, any trauma is going to span. It doesn't care if it's in your mind or right. if it's in your body right. because yeah. it's all connected. Right. We aren't in a, we aren't like dualistic in that sense where we are totally separated between our mind yeah. and body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is all integrated. Yeah. And so it's all affected. Yeah. Um, so I'm also curious, Michelle, as you've, navigated so much like with breath work and meditation and all these holistic practices do you feel like it's challenged any good girl conditioning yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um I am a two on the Enneagram and so you know the filter in which I saw the world established as a young girl was to be a good girl, um, to do all the good things, all the things that was asked of me or required of me. Um, and you know, to not, to not be a bad girl, right. Mm -hmm. To not, to not bring dishonor or shame. There's a little bit of Asian influence there too, Mm -hmm. because my dad is full Filipino and then I'm Japanese on my mother's side as well. So there's this, um, definitely of, of wanting to bring honor, um, and not, uh, and no disrespect, you know, to people in my life and my caregivers or my parents, you know, Mm -hmm. so wanting to do everything good by them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's challenged, it's challenged a lot of that. And I've had to unravel a lot of that, um, and discover, you know, what things and start to identify what things am I doing in my life that are, that are, um, actually, they're actually just like that little girl, like my 12 year old self, just trying to gain, um, acceptance yeah. by, to other, uh, from other people, you yeah. know? Um, and so it's, it's definitely brought, brought some stuff up and, um, recognizing, you know, like I'm just, I'm not willing to participate in um, dis- dysfunction of any sort mm-hmm. in my life, whether yeah. it's um, and, and what does that look like? You know, what does that look like in my family unit versus what does it look like um, with with the people around me that I engage with or mm-hmm. people that you know I engage with that don't agree with me? And how does how does that look? How do how do I see that that other person? Yeah. Um, how do I see how do I see an organization or something um, bigger than just 
one person. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's challenged a lot of yeah. that. And I've had to I've had to really kind of let go of some some old belief systems to make space for for sure. new and and to be again more um, more curious and more accepting and more um, and less judgy and um, those are all things that I feel like I've I've said yes to yeah to growing in that's really good I mean man I feel like so often being the good girl can also tend to translate to feel the good girl feelings yeah absolutely and so I think yeah it's it's an interesting journey so yeah. I was just curious to hear yeah. your thoughts on that yeah so I'm really curious to know from you as well, like, what would you say to other families and people who have lost loved ones in um, custody at Shasta County Jail? Like, what would you want to tell them? I would want to tell them that they're not alone, um, that um, your voice matters in whatever capacity you choose to use it, uh, and that... Um, John's story is is not singular. It's his story is is others, and so encouraging other families uh, to to band with us, to mm-hmm. to to gather with us, and um, in support. So the support that my family is receiving is also the report the support that you're receiving, mm-hmm. um, and that we wouldn't find change necessarily just for John, but for anyone who's lost a loved one in the in the way that we did. Um, but I think, I think that was actually a really beautiful moment at the rally was mm-hmm. that there were many families there who, who also came and they w- had asked us, you know, would it be okay if we made signs for John and for our, our person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're like, yes, absolutely. And so it was a really beautiful um, moment of, of sharing that um, support and sharing that love um, because... Unfortunately, we're not the only family who has, who has yeah. suffered in this way. So, yeah. I mean, I think that loneliness is something that, especially in the past year, our society has realized the impact of it. Yeah. Um, in with the pandemic and everything, and people being isolated, and thinking about people who, um, who died alone yeah. or who died without family um, or the elderly who have been so isolated for their safety. But (laughs) we realize the way that that really affects somebody in in talking about that holistic health approach, if you are mentally not being able to socialize and and, um, be in community, Mm -hmm. that affects your body as well. And um, it's so important to to yeah give that reminder to people you are not alone yeah. you you are um you're standing with them yeah. you're uh i would imagine like a resource to them mm-hmm. if they wanted it you know and um the death of a family member can feel so isolating yeah. and so um just like a singular thing yeah but it's it's not it's a communal thing um so that's that's amazing and it's really hard uh to be with people who are grieving when Mm. you know you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say and you don't you don't know what is right or what is wrong or what will be supportive or what will be hurtful um you know in the with the best intentions Mm -hmm. right but 
Um, sometimes the greatest thing we can do is just be side by side with mm-hmm. someone and not even say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, is to just crawl in that hole with that person. That's that's all you really that's all you really need when you're grieving is is for someone just to be there with you. Oftentimes it's it's not any it's not words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it really isn't um, because again it's it's just it's a human condition. We're wired to to be in community and to to be around people and and when someone's hurting around us you know I think we we think we need to jump in and like do something or say something when um the most impactful things were people just sitting with me mm-hmm. um on the couch not saying much or uh someone bringing a meal and mm-hmm. and just listening I mean so it is it's it's really hard it's really hard to because we we start to want to bring in like the things that we feel they need and and oftentimes you just need to bring yourself like that's it and it's yeah. it's uh yeah it's it's a special thing when when you can just be there for someone um in grief cuz grief is just hard it's just hard yeah so mm-hmm. so thank you for all the things that you've shared today um i think so impactful um, what your family is doing. And like I said earlier, I think necessary for our community to heal and become a better Reading, a better Shasta County. I wondered for you standing up advocating on John's behalf, what are some of the practical things that you're advocating for, whether that be mental health, prison reform, not prison reform, jail reform, um, more accountability, and and what are the ways that community members can support? Uh, thank you for asking. Um, I think if you're specifically wanting to know more about my brother's story, um, there are uh, some articles that I have links to. Uh, so you can, if you don't know who my brother was, uh, you don't really know who um, the story besides, you know, what you might have, might have seen in headlines. Um, there's there's some ways to get to know just who he was. Um, there's also, if you're interested in learning more about jail reform and and just what's been going on in specifically Shasta County Jail for the last 15 years, there's another article that we can link um, that is uh, a really good, really well done article by um, a local journalist here in town named Matt Brannon. And uh, he has really asked a lot of hard questions. So for someone who's just kind of scratching the surface of all of this stuff, um, that would be actually really helpful. It was helpful to me, um, but really helpful. Um, a few articles that he wrote uh, that shows, you know, the problem and also the solution. Uh, there are jails that are implementing new new culture changes and new um protocols and making sure that these jails, they're not mental facilities, health facilities, but they can also do better and improve the the cells that these inmates who are suffering from mental illness, um, they have they have better cells for them where they can actually see people instead of isolate them, which mm-hmm. is like the worst thing you can do for people who are mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it gives hope <laughs> and and it and it really does help uh, educate someone who is just just again starting to learn more about um, more about jail reform and just and just what's going on in general. So um, those are two really good things. Yeah. So um, there is a website called NAMI, 
Org. Uh, they stand for the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this at the time uh, when we were when John was struggling with mental illness, but they have a local chapter here in Shasta County. I just, people don't know these things. And so um, NAMI is an amazing resource for either families who are trying to help or support a friend or a family member who is suffering with mental illness. Um, There's help for people wanting to find those answers for themselves and get help, the help that they need. Um, And I do, I do feel very strongly that a lot of what my voice will be talking about forever, uh, it will be mental, mental health awareness. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when I say that, I don't, I don't just mean for people like my brother, I actually really want to see more, um, more positive change um, coming to families of law enforcement and, um, and people who find themselves in first responder uh, situations and firefighters and, you know, people who, who deal with medical traumas all the time, you know, how are they, how are they doing? Um, jail, you know, people who work in the jail, correctional officers working day in and day out and in, mm-hmm. in a job that I wouldn't want to have personally, I don't think I could show up every day and, and do that job. But how are these people um, taking care of their mental health because it matters. Um, it's mm-hmm. all that that just comes down to personal responsibility and mm-hmm. and knowing that um, this tough guy, I need to be tough. I need to compartmentalize to do my job. Yes, you do, but you're also human. And so learning to um, be a human for your family and for your spouses and for your children uh, when you're not on the clock anymore, mm-hmm. those are all very real things that I've, I've personally experienced. And so... Um, having, having, um, mental health be something that's not so taboo to talk about in that, in that line of work. Uh, I want to kind of tear that down, uh, and encourage, encourage families, um, of law enforcement and first responders in general to, to advocate for, for talk therapy and, um, to start, you know, exploring that because Mm -hmm. it was very helpful for Daniel and I to, to have that, um, to have talk therapy. Um, and he's, he's come, you know, he's dealt with a lot of really hard things, um, on his job. And so to, to see him process that, uh, in a healthy way, um, has been way better than, um, than how to process it in an unhealthy way. So, you know, mental health is for everyone. It doesn't matter, who you are. Uh, it doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. Like mental health is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to stop, we need to stop, um, making it this taboo subject. And so really advocating for the openness of saying, yeah, I, I see a therapist every, every month, you know, for my mental health. Um, I think that's something that needs to be talked about more. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Michelle, Thank you so much for sharing all these different things with us. Um, we so appreciate your openness and your vulnerability. And mm-hmm. you're, you are such a, like, a, a composed and, like, peaceful presence and voice in all of this um, in something that doesn't feel very peaceful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we have to ask. This is the first time we're asking this in season two. <laughs> Which is very exciting. Our classic question. Um, And I feel like so much of what we talked about today can apply specifically to women when we talk about mental health and talk about the body and um, dealing with trauma and all of that. Um, But also, 
you reconciling with all the roles that you play as a woman in the midst of this as a sibling, as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter. Um, so we've got to know from you, uh, what does woman being mean to you? I've had a lot of time to think about this, <laughs> and so I hope I can articulate it. Woman being to me is uh, knowing who I am fully and being fully alive in that, in that moment and being present. A uh, woman being is a woman who knows when to fight and when to be still. A uh, woman being knows what she needs when she needs it and takes it. Um, these are all things that I feel like embodies that phrase, woman being. I love that. Amazing. Knows when to fight and knows when to be still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's because beautiful. we can't we can't fight forever. Like we need to actually know we need to know that there are our strengths as as women biologically mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we are actually more apt to being able to be more productive and be more kick ass and be more um, like checking the boxes off and being pr- productive and all of these things. And then mm-hmm. there's another part of our of our beings that, you know, the, the first half of the month is like all the energy, all the things conquer. And then the second half of our, of our monthly cycles mm-hmm. are where we need to, to turn more inward and to mm-hmm. rest and to find recovery and to, um, and to dig more into ourselves and, uh, to find peace. And so that's just something that we do every month, every yeah. month. And I've learned how to, uh, start paying attention to that. So knowing knowing when to be a warrior and then when to be still mm-hmm. is is something because I think we're just we're just not wired to be one thing all the time. We're just we've mm-hmm. actually we've been designed to to ebb and flow and mm-hmm. um, just really embracing that. Um, I think fully is what is what woman being means to me. Yeah. So nice. good. Beautiful. <laughs> so you've already mentioned a few sort of resources type of things. Um, the When the body says no, mm-hmm. um, and then those different articles, mm-hmm. uh, and what was it, NAMI? NAMI? NAMI. NAMI. So we'll definitely be linking those things, okay. but I also want to know if you have any other resources or just plugs of how people could follow you or um, know more about John or any of that? Yeah, uh, we have an Instagram page right now. Uh, so you can find us at Justice for John Adena. Um, and uh, that is uh, a place where we are, um, we have a, a really good community of people who are either following our stories and kind of being updated as time goes on with mm-hmm. things as we move forward. Um, it's also a chance uh, for people, again, to kind of get to know um, who John was. Uh, there's lots of articles and things linked, actually, uh, to that Instagram page. So that would be another really helpful resource uh, to know more about my brother's story or to stay updated with my family. Um, another, um, we I think we do have a private Facebook page. Um, so if you Google... Or if you search Justice for John Adena, I think you should find that. 
on Facebook. I'm personally not on Facebook a lot, uh, but I know that we do have one there. Um, we are working on a website right now. It's not finished yet, but again, it's it's a, a place to hopefully be um, a place of resources for all the things that we talked about mm-hmm. um, for local and, and more nationally. Um, and then... Uh, again, if people want to stay more connected to our story, uh, John's story, and uh, and hopefully, honestly, a place for other families who are similar to our story to, mm-hmm. to be a, a place of support um, where all of our voices can be heard. And so we are we are working on it. It's just not it's not ready yet. So that yeah. will be in the making um, and hopefully we'll be launching that soon. But um, Instagram will probably be the best way to be able to to tag all that stuff and um I honestly really encourage people if they're working on integrating, uh, specifically women, if you're working on uh, integrating kind of all the things that we talked about holistically um, and self-healing and what that looks like, um, I would also encourage to follow uh, Drop Gym. So I think their IG is drop.gym. And you can follow those incredible women uh, (laughs) in Medford, Oregon as well. Um, And I think... I think that's it. <laughs> well, and I just wanted to add on to that. Um, with following the resources on Instagram or the website or Facebook when the website's done, um, this process might take a few years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so it's going to be a slow, arduous climb yeah. to the actual trial. Yeah. Um, and so uh, if people want to stay uh, connected to what's happening um over the next few years, that is the best way to do it. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. <sighs> well, Michelle, thank you again. I feel like I've thanked you like 10 times <laughs> for being here. Um, but we're genuinely <laughs> just so excited to get to host you and you. talk to you. Um, it's you so been much. a true joy getting to talk to you. And just um, to know you in general. Oh, thank <laughs> you yes. so much. Yeah, we She's also a gem, you guys. Like you. So, <laughs> you want to be her friend. Yes. <laughs> Like, oh, you have so much wisdom. Oh, like, you're you. so, so wise. I love oh, it. We could do this all day. But also, like, so cool. Yeah, <laughs> she's really, really cool, guys. Cool, guys. Um, yeah, so that uh, concludes this episode of the Woman Being Podcast. Uh, we are hope that you guys have enjoyed uh, getting to hear uh, from Michelle today. Uh, and uh, we hope that... If issues going on in the jail system or mental health are something that feel very new to you or, like, something that you um, maybe felt in the dark about or, like, had been turning a blind eye to, um, we hope that this sparks something for you, that this uh, is piquing your curiosity to dig into that more um, and to uh, pursue what does it look like to, um, you know, to, to be someone who's, who's empathetic, an empathetic part of your community. Uh, and we also would like to encourage you to follow us, <laughs> the Woman Being Podcast. Uh, we have our website, womanbeingcommunity.com, where you can read all about us and access all of our content. Um, but you can also access our content on Instagram 
at womanbeingpodcast, uh, or find us on all the podcast platforms, pretty much. If there's one that you like that we're not on, let us know, because we're kind of on all the main ones. We got the <laughs> Apple, we got Spotify, mm-hmm. Stitcher, all that, and a bunch of random ones that I've, like, never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, be sure to uh, follow us on there. Leave us a review if you want. That would be amazing. Leave us a review even if you kind of don't want to, because that would be amazing. <laughs> um, it's very helpful in other people being able to find the podcast um and us having more capacity to amplify voices like michelle's Mm -hmm. um so yeah thank you again michelle so much thank you we've so enjoyed talking to you and without further ado we'll catch you guys next week goodbye